this is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm founder of PCOS Diva. And I'm here today with Holly Griggspall. She is the author of Sweetening the Pill, or How We Get Hooked on Hormone Birth Control. And her work um, has appeared in magazines like Marie Claire, Elle, Cosmopolitan, New York Magazine, The Sunday Times, The Guardian, The Independent, The Washington Post, and also on the BBC and CBC Radio. And she also writes a weekly uh, post for LadyClever.com. And I want to welcome Holly to the PCOS Diva podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So I'm really, I just read your book, and gosh, it really hit home with me. I think so much of your experience being on the pill um, really parallels mine. And I, I would love to start off by just kind of, ex, you know, telling, um, explaining to us, you know, what was your experience being on the pill and how did that lead you to write this um, kind of, I guess, expose on um, hormonal birth control? Yeah, well, I actually um, was on the pill for about 10 years in total, and I used a lot of different um, brands over the years, and, you know, I would swap because of usually relatively minor physical side effects that I experienced. Um, But then I went on one particular pill called uh, Yasmin, and um, Yasmin was very, very popular at the time. Uh, A lot of women were using it, and um, pretty much everybody I knew was using it. Um, And I was on that, and I had much, much more serious side effects than I had on any of the other brands. So whether that was specific to Yasmin, I believe it was somewhat, or also a combination of that and the fact that the side effects of the pill can be quite insidious um, and have a build-up effect. But I had... um, really a mix of kind of a a multitude of of physical side effects that made me feel very unwell Um, and then also psychological side effects. I had real negative changes to my mood Um, and I didn't put two and two together for about two and a half years Um, and when I finally did, um, I did some investigation into Yasmin and realized that it was the problem Um, and I did swap one more to one more branded pill um, and then I decided to come off entirely. Um, and around that time kind of coincided, I decided to write a blog about that. Um, and that blog ended up becoming a book. And then that book ended up being optioned by Ricky Lake to make a documentary, which is currently on Kickstarter. Yeah, um, and I want you to talk a little bit more about the, the documentary in a bit. But um, I just wanted to kind of go back to the the pill, Yasmin, and uh, my my experience um, is kind of similar to yours, and I think a lot of women listening, a lot of women with PCOS can relate to um, as a teen, you know, not getting their period um, or not being regular, and so the doctor, you know, tells your mother that you know she needs to go on the pill um, so that she can start getting a regular period, and that was certainly my experience. So. I was on the pill from probably the age of 16 to about 26, 
Um, so mm. about 10 years as well. And, you know, I think that you really don't know what it's like to be um, off um, synthetic hormonal um, birth control until you decide that, you know, at that time I was ready to start ha- trying to have a family. Um, and I couldn't believe, you know, I definitely had the uh, post-pill hair shed and, um, you know, the acne kind of came back. And, I, and I, I was not on Yasmin at that time. But I just remember almost feeling like this fog has lifted. And I know in your book you um, describe it as, um, kind of like living behind a veil and sort of this veil has lifted and you see the world in a, um, kind of a more a, a vibrant view. And that was definitely my experience. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've been feeling kind of so foggy for so long and now um, the world just, it, it's hard to describe, but it just feels more vibrant. And... Um, and then after I had uh, both of my, my boys, I ended up deciding to go back on the pill. And at that point, you know, Yasmin had been introduced, and it was like the pill for PCOS. And I think I lasted on it for about a week and tried a couple others, but my body just couldn't adjust to going back. And I haven't looked back. I've um, been able to manage my PCOS without the birth control pill. It definitely took some time. Um, but it, I think it can be done. I see it done with women um, in my practice. But why don't you um, maybe just kind of explain how, why Yasmin is different and why it um, is sort of the, the birth control of choice for women with PCOS. And then maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, the side effects of um, birth control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, with Yasmin, it was um, what's called a third-generation hormonal contraceptive, um, and that was Yasmin Yasmin and also the Nuva Ring and the Orpha patch. Um, and these were created um, partly um, to respond, I suppose, to the side effects that women were experiencing on other older methods, but also because a new formulation is, a, is, is um, open to patent, uh, and that means you can make more money from a new patent product. Because um, once a patent actually uh, expires, then all the generics come in, and the price gets much lowered, and then the potential for profit is much less for the pharmaceutical company. So with Yasmin and Yaz, um, the difference was the progestin, which was called is called drospirinone. Um, and now there are generics, in fact. Um, the patent didn't expire. Um, and so we do have generics with Drospirinone, um, including like Lorena and some others. And um, they have this progestin and then uh, supposedly what's called a low-dose estrogen. So um, they really marketed these, these kind of drugs as like low-dose hormone, low-dose synthetic hormone dose, which, you know, in my book I, I compare to low-tar cigarettes. Um, you know, you, yes, they don't have the similar, um, in some ways, um, effects of high-dose estrogen that we saw in the 60s and 70s, but um, what happened was it turned out that despite being newer and improved in all the ways that we see, like a, a laundry soap, a new laundry soap is new and improved, um, it actually ended up showing that uh, these third-generation drugs and devices were not as safe as the older generation, 
um, and actually had some some real uh, problems to their formulations, including um, very very serious issues like uh, heightened blood clot development risk. Um, you know, there's been thousands of lawsuits, uh, FDA reappraisals on um, neutering, um lawsuits, the patch, the FDA reappraisal, the Yasmin Yasmin long process of FDA reappraisal, and <clears throat> those that's that's really what marks them out as different. Now, when you have a um, this progestin has a very particular um, way of working, and I believe um, it's prescribed very much for um, people with PCOS because it's extremely anti-androgenic. Um, so it's really controlling your testosterone levels. Um, and I go into that a bit in the book. It's also what's called a potassium-bearing diuretic, um, which is why they tried to market it originally as getting rid of, of bloating around PMS and things because you're actually, it's a diuretic essentially, which is why a lot of women lose weight on Yaz and Yasmin. I did myself, lost a lot of weight. Um, so yeah, that's why that's why it's very particular. Um, and so when I had my um, side effects, the sort of psychological issues that I had with sort of depression, anxiety, or what comes under kind of the umbrella idea of subclinical depression, um, that was actually could be linked back to um, the higher levels of potassium in my blood, but it could also be linked back to the anti-androgenic effects because when you lower testosterone in women, um, you get you know, it's not just about sex drive, although a lot of women will completely lose their sex drive or lower that, see their sex drive lower. But it's also about the fact that testosterone is linked to ambition, motivation, interest in day-to-day -day things that you'd enjoy doing, um, creativity, you know, a lot of things. Because what you do is you see a peak in a normal cycle that isn't suppressed by the pill you see a peak of testosterone, I think, twice in the cycle. Um, and so when you take something that's strongly anti-androgenic, then you don't see that peak at all. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's really kind of an overview of what the difference is there um, and why someone with PCOS might be um, prescribed it. But also, of course, um, you know, any pill that was advertised as heavily as Yaz and Yasmin, that was advertised specifically to doctors as heavily as Yaz and Yasmin with a lot of kickbacks, um, then, of course, you're going to get it into doctors' hands and then they're going to think that, you know, new is better, new is going to improve, be an improvement on what came before. So that's partially why, I mean, there, there wasn't, it's, it's, if it's being prescribed for PCOS, it's certainly an off-label use. Um, it's not a use that the FDA has actually um, registered the drug for. Right. But yet it's, it is, um, seems to be prescribed often as first-line therapy for women with PCOS, um, often in conjunction mm. with metformin, which is another kind of off-label um, use of uh, a traditional diabetic drug. Um, but and I did want to point out you did mention blood clots and there have been some studies that recently came out I think it was last summer that women with PCOS are um, at double the risk of blood clots um, over yeah uh, I saw the, that research control. I was going to mention that yeah that's absolutely mm -hmm. right and you know the thing is if you've got a woman with PCOS who has double the risk anyway. And then you put them on something like this. That's really not that. You know, we've got what we're seeing is um, I think it's um, 
nine times the risk of someone not using the pill. It's about double the risk of someone who uses older generation pills. And so you've got someone with PCOS plus taking that. It's just, it doesn't seem like a good idea, especially when they went through an FDA reappraisal of this specifically for the heightened risk and discovered it is true. They do have a heightened risk. Um, so, yeah, no, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's, I, I, I saw that research, and I think that's very troubling. You know, in your book, you have, um, and I underlined this quote, you say that real choice and real freedom cannot be gained without comprehensive education. And, you know, that's, I love that, and I really think that that is um, what it means to kind of be a diva, a PCOS diva. You know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not condemning women that feel like the birth control pill you know, is there, you know, the option that makes them feel good or, um, you know, it's the only way that they can have a cycle. Uh, but it's just so important that we educate ourselves um, as to all of the risk factors and really um, understanding what the pill is doing for us. Uh, because often a doctor won't take the time to really sit down and and provide that type of education uh and and i and i love um you also say that it's it's really important for women to be their own advocates and to really start to understand their own cycles so maybe you could yeah. give us um some idea as to how we can kind of own our own cycles and learn more about um you know how to determine whether we are, in fact, ovulating or not ovulating when we, you know, if we just choose to come off of the pill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in the book, elsewhere, I've called that kind of body literacy. And to me, really, you know, to have informed choice, we do need body literacy because, you know, what we get from our doctor is, well, this is going to stop you getting pregnant or you'll stop producing eggs or some oversimplified version tends to come through when, you know, if we knew how our bodies worked, we knew that our periods were linked to a entire cycle and the what it is to ovulate um, or not ovulate for our health, um, you know, how it's interlinked, the endocrine system, the metabolic system, the immune system, we knew all that and then we said, well, okay, that's great. Um, you know, I still want to take the pill, then great, take the pill. Um, but at least then you know what you're doing, you know what you are potentially looking out for, you know what side effects might occur and you don't end up like me, two and a half years of misery, having no clue what was going on. Um, you know, that's really always been my main aim and, you know, I think that's the most important thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, what I talk about towards the end of my book is um, the idea of body literacy and how important it is for, for everybody, you know, and to um, figure out what's going on with your body if you're not having your period or you don't think you're ovulating or to figure out if you have allergies or intolerances, but also just to feel more confident and empowered and not so fearful and scared of getting pregnant and, and worried about it and anxious because you know that anxiety can be horrible for women when you think you are and you don't know how your body would feel. Um, and so I talk about having some at least some basic knowledge of fertility awareness, which is being able to interpret your body's signs that 
show you when you're fertile and when you're not fertile. So when you've ovulated and when you haven't ovulated or you are, have ovulated and then you're in an infertile part of your cycle. So that means like basal body temperature, cervical fluid, ovulation pain, just changes in your mood, um, PMS symptoms. Uh, I mean, at this point for me, it's very instinctual. I know, you know, where I am, I have kind of a rhythm to it in terms of my emotions and how I feel in my body. Um, and, you know, early on when I was doing this, it was just very, very helpful coming off the pill for me to feel okay with not taking the pill, is to learn about my body and be able to... Um, and be able to kind of take control in that way. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's what I talk about in, in the book, about the idea of using it as a transitionary tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and when I um, first started the pill, so, you know, when I was 16 or 17, when I was on it for for the 10 years, I had really no clue as to what, like, a natural cycle was like. And it wasn't until I started doing fertility charting through the Crichton model um, that I was actually diagnosed with PCOS. So it took from the time I was 16 till the time I, till I was 30. Um, I was actually diagnosed from a nurse practitioner that was teaching me this um, kind of fertility tracking method that said, gosh, you know, your charts look like you have PCOS. So, you know, during that whole span of time, I'd seen many, many doctors, lots of different um, types of doctors, and never really got a, a diagnosis until I did fertility charting. So I think um, that just was such a powerful tool for me, and it's something that I still, like you, you know, I kind of know, have a sense of where my body is um, during my cycle because I've educated myself. And um, something that I just wanted to kind of um, maybe you could speak to, and it was something that I didn't really realize, and I think a lot of women have this misconception that they need the pill to get a period. Um, you know, if they're not on the yeah. pill, they're not going to get their period. But what is the difference between a period on the pill and a period sort of on your own? Well, um, you know, with the, a lot of what we hear, as you quite rightly say, is is this idea that you are regulating your periods when you're on the pill, and that's often what gets um, women on at a young age when you're in your teenage years, um, and your body's still going through a maturation process, which is actually really normal. It usually takes the body sometimes reproductive-wise to mature. Um, then you think, well, you know, go on this pill, you'll regulate your cycle as though the pill goes in and, and kind of fixes things in a very um, almost like sensitive way. And But it doesn't. It's actually a very crude kind of medication. It, it just goes in, replaces your cycle with synthetic hormones. That's it. You're just running on synthetic progesterone and estrogen. Um, which means when you come off for your break, you're having a withdrawal bleed. So, you know, whatever is built up in your uterus will, you'll, you will have a, a bleed, but it isn't physiologically the same as a period. Um, and Lara Bryden actually wrote something, Dr. Lara Bryden, who wrote a book called Peri um, Period Repair mm -hmm. Manual. She just wrote something really great on that called Pill, it's titled Pill Periods Are Not Real Periods or Pill pill bleeds are not periods, um, which is 
<clears throat> talking about, you know, the, really the nuts and bolts of what that means um, and why you should be aware of that and why it's important. And, of course, you know, that's why we got to the point where, um, you know, the idea was, well, you know, if you're, you're just having this bleed that's from coming off the pill, then you don't need to have one at all, which is why women are now told to run their packs together or to take a seasonique kind of brand um, where you get four periods a year. Um, but, yeah, the idea, of course, of PCOS would be to say, well, we'll take this and it'll regulate your periods. I have a friend do this talked to about this recently it happened exactly that way and then you think you're getting your period every month and you know you're, you're not you're physiologically not doing that you're suppressing ovulation over a long term usually until you want to try and have a child um, and often that will cause you know other physical other physical problems that will mean that when you come off you might find your you might have what's called post pill syndrome which is has similar to PCOS, I think, but that isn't, in that you come off and you don't get your period and you don't ovulate for months um, and you maybe get diagnosed with PCOS even um, when maybe you haven't been before um, just because you don't have your period, you don't seem to be ovulating, but actually you're still withdrawing from your years on the birth control pill. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's... It, it, Having a being able to have regular periods and ovulating is important for overall health in a lot of ways. We, would, you know, as I say in the book, I interviewed Dr. Geraldine Pryor of the Center for Menstrual Cycle and Ovulation Research about this. Um, and you know what we've been sold really is is a bill of goods that says to us, well, no, you don't really need to have a period until you want to worry about having a child. And then yes, we do have to try and figure that out, or we can just give you IVF. Um, and then we'll be that will be fine. Um, so yeah, it kind of it has a, a pervasive effect. Mm. And um, if if our listeners have not uh, read or uh, come across Dr. Bryden's book, uh, I'm going to post the podcast that I did recently when we were talking about the period repair manual. It's really I have it right in front of me. It's really a fantastic resource. And you're right. I mean, she, in, in her book, she talks about um, a pill-induced form of PCOS, and she actually has a nice protocol in there for, for women that may um, kind of have this uh, sort of phenotype or, or uh, PCOS type. Um, and uh, Dr. Gerilyn Pryor that you mentioned, I know before our, our interview I was telling you that she, her writings um, really played a key role in kind of my PCOS journey. And I think all of these, these women really, um, these doctors, are really advocating, like you said um, earlier, for us to understand our cycle and to... Um, to really own it, and and I want women that are listening. There's so much that you can do outside of the pill through lifestyle change and supplements, and um, your own, um, you know, changing your habits that can really help bring your cycle back on track. Um, so there, there is a lot of hope, and um, I just wanted to finish with this really great quote from your book. Um, you talk 
about I gotta find it here. Um the the pill prevents women from functioning at their optimal level of health. The vitamin and nutrient deficiency, the impact on the endocrine system, the flattening out of peaks in hormones, and the wearing away of every bodily system takes its toll over time. It is true that an optimized woman would be a woman not on hormonal birth control. An optimized woman would be one allowed to ovulate as her body dictates. I really love that. Um, so, so I I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the project that you are doing with Abby Epstein and Ricky Lake, um, where you're kind of taking your book and turning it into this documentary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, that I, I wrote a little bit about Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein's um, very popular documentary, The Business of Being Born, in my book. Um, drawing parallels between the business of birth as I explored it and the business of birth control. And I got the manuscript to Abby and then I got the paperback to them when it was published and I met up with them and it just was, first of all, they just got it really well. They understood where I was coming from, why this was also about female empowerment. It was also about the importance of informed choice, um, about women's need for control, um, about the medical industry um, kind of dictating what is best for women in ways that weren't necessarily um, good for everybody, this kind of one-size-fits-all approach. And that, um, you know, they ended up deciding to option the book, which is this idea of sort of taking the book uh, for the rights to the book for a future documentary. And, um, you know, we, they spent a year looking for funding via the traditional routes that you would normally look for funding for a documentary of this kind. And although we got a lot of really um, enthusiastic responses, people saying, you know, this is going to be the food ink for birth control, etc., it's not a corporate-friendly project. One of the biggest um, industries for advertising money um, in the media is the pharmaceutical industry. So it's not an easy sell. It's not something that they feel felt comfortable getting behind. So after a year, we decided that we would make it a grassroots effort and take it to Kickstarter. We've got three days left. Um, we're actually doing really, really well. Um, we're really we've got about ten thousand to raise left of a hundred thousand. Um, our aim is to get like a lot of backers so that we really have almost like votes or raised hands or, you know, basically a show of confidence, a show of support, a show that women think this is something that should be looked into, investigated, important to know about, it's an important topic and it's really a neglected topic in a pretty neglected area of women's health. Um, and so we're just asking people to give whatever they can afford, even if it's just like a couple of dollars, just to make their voice known, you know, make their vote known. Um, you know, and, and, and build on those backer numbers for us um, as much as anything. Um, but yeah, you know, this, this is this is going to be a real game changer in a lot of ways. It's really the only time I, and situation in which I can think a film like this would ever come about. Um, and we really just hope to to make something that helps women, really just helps them day to day actually make these decisions for themselves that so many of us have to make and have struggled with over a long time. 
Well, you know, I, I think it's a really important project, and I'm happy to support it. And um, I hope those that are listening will consider, um, as Holly said, even if it's just $5 to sort of cast your vote. Um, and I will post all of the information about how to, to um, contribute. And there's a really great video um, to kind of give you a preview of the, the project um, that you can watch as well. Um, and I'll post all that information below this audio um, podcast. So yeah, we also have um, really, really, we, just to add, we also have some really mm -hmm. great rewards for anybody who's interested in holistic health um, and fertility awareness. We just have some really great rewards that you can get into all kind of online classes and and um, e-books and, and um, new technology and all kinds of really great things. Right, yeah, so definitely check those out. Um, so it, any last words for us, Abby? Uh, no, 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 no last words except please do check out the Kickstarter. We've only got three days left and, um, you know, we really want to blast through our money goal and we really want to show this is like a hugely important topic for people to take attention to and, and to, to focus their interest on now, you know, by saying, look, we have 2,000 backers. Um, this is how important it is. That would be wonderful. It would be great to get that message out there. So, as I say, whatever you can afford, however small, and if you really, really can't afford anything, then just share it because maybe one of your friends will. So that's really my takeaway message here. <laughs> yeah, and your book is excellent too, and I think that's one of the bonuses as well. If you it is. contribute like $30, I think, you get um, mm -hmm. a copy of your book. Uh, and and I've really enjoyed reading it. It's like it's such an eye opener. So, um, you know, if this is a topic that you're interested in, definitely pick up Polly's book and contribute at that thirty dollar mark. Um, so, I just wanted to close with thanking you um, for for really putting this information out there, and you know, being I know it's it, 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 it's a real step you have to be brave to kind of put yourself out there um especially with this topic and i wish you the 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 very best of luck getting this documentary done and um i know it's it's really a labor of love yeah thank you very much for having me well thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next time mm -hmm.